0: this is july 25th and this is the bruins beat presented by fanduel on clns media And welcome back into the Bruins Beat on CLMS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky. Hope you guys are having a great day, a great weekend. On this episode, Connor Ryan is back. Connor makes his triumphant return to Bruins Beat. And uh, we get into uh, the latest news surrounding Mitchell Miller. Came out in the New York Post over the weekend. We dive into that. Seems like this chapter is over. Seems like the Mitchell Miller chapter is over. So Connor and I get into that. And then we get into a huge question that we haven't, done a ton on because him and i both believe that patrice bergeron will most likely return that's just what we think just our opinion uh but we get into if he doesn't return are the bruins still a playoff team which i think uh, is a very interesting question because it's a big it's a stark difference <laughs> as you guys well know patrice bergeron is with the bruins versus uh, if he is not this year so we get into all of that and more in this episode so without further ado here's my conversation with connor ryan <laughs> And we're here with Connor Ryan who's presented by our good friends over at FanDuel. Connor, what is up?
1: Evan, I'm doing well. How you doing?
0: Doing great. Doing great. It's been a minute since we've been together. Uh you know, Poke the Bear you recorded early last week in the morning and Monday you were away and that last week the week before we were both away. That's so why I must ask. How was Arizona, New Mexico, and, and that part of the country?
1: A uh, little toasty, Evan. Uh, the day we left Phoenix, it was 118 degrees. So, Ooh. it's, how do I say it? it? It's not comfortable, I would say. It is doing that, especially when you have to, like, you know, hike in the Grand Canyon and stuff like that. It all kind of adds up a little bit. So, a lot of uh, 4 a.m. hikes, uh, stuff like that before the sun comes up, but It was a fun time had by all went to a few national parks, checked them off the list. Good to get away. Even if it was felt like you were inside like a, uh, a microwave pretty much for most of it.
0: And did you do like, what did you do during the day? Like in the afternoons when it was super hot, Did did, do I remember you, were you in an RV or was it just hotels?
1: Uh, just hotels, hotels, Airbnb. So a lot of times, yeah, just staying inside. Thankfully that part of the country, Arizona went to Texas for a little bit. Uh, pretty good ac units they invest heavily in that technology uh one of the few things they do invest in so uh thankfully they have all those working out pretty well so a lot of staying inside eating food relaxing all that stuff
0: what was the best food you ate that's what i'm curious oh was a good barbecue uh, or something different
1: went down to el paso and had some classic tex-mex perfect it was it was unbelievable. I would say, I don't think it's a really hot take, but Ma- uh, Massachusetts, Boston, Mexican food. Mm. Not that great. You find a few good spots, but not anything that rivals anything down there. So it was good to get down to El Paso and have uh, have some of that. But I think that was at the top of the list. But it big... had no shortage of, of good food down there. That's for sure.
0: No, that's good. And it's like, you know, when I was in Chicago, we went to this place called Windy City Smokeout, which is like a, a country music festival. And they send like 20 to 30 uh barbecue plays from around the country um none from the northeast actually no there was one from connecticut i think there was one from mm. connecticut is it um, I, no i don't think it was i forget who it was uh but there was i think one from connecticut but you realize like as i'm there eating all that stuff i'm like yeah we just don't have this uh out near boston just doesn't massachusetts doesn't have that the good barbecue uh that that uh that texas and kansas city and st louis have um which is very nice but yeah i love getting to that that area, you know, there's different foods. The 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 hot weather, though, that's got to be crazy. It's funny. I was at the Red Sox on Sunday night. And I was sitting next to a, a weatherman, actually, from Texas, from Waco, Texas. He was he's a TV weatherman, and uh, he was talking about how you know with the it's just so hot down there, and it's just miserable during the summer. Um, so credit to you. Did you guys do any hikes during the the afternoon, or 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 not really?
1: No, we went to uh Suaro in uh Arizona where, where all the cactuses are, and that was around noonish, and it was a hike that I believe was 0. 0.7 miles round trip, so not very far. It looked like we literally jumped into a pool by the time we were <laughs> done because it was about 115 degrees. So and that was on like level ground, just walking like back and forth amongst cactuses. It wasn't any severe hikes or anything else like that. So you had to be very selective in terms of when you're doing the hikes. If you hike you know, from 10 a.m. onward until probably six or seven at night, anytime between that very large window, you're asking for a lot of trouble. So yeah. uh, very selective with how we try to do our hikes. A lot of very early morning, before the sun comes up kind of things, which paid off, I think. Countless time's over. No one passed out. No one had heat stroke. No one that's a good deceased. Thing. So, yeah, that's it was a good, good trip.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing. Um, anyways, uh, again – People are probably punching their screens right now, being like, get to the Guys, Bruins. We, stuff. we have nothing going on. There's nothing going on. There's not a lot going on right now. Uh, there was one little nugget of information that slipped out on, uh, on Sunday morning, or it might have been actually Saturday night. I think I first saw this Saturday night. Uh, Larry Brooks has a Sunday column in the New York Post, and uh, the headline, Bruins Divorce of Disgraced Mitchell Miller was finalized in February settlement. Uh, so again, I think, you know, Puck Puckpedia didn't have this. Cap Friendly didn't have this. Uh, this was not out on any transactional wires. Um, basically, and I'll I'll read the story so I kind of get uh, everything correct. Uh, Slapshots learned from an NHL official on Friday that quote he and the Bruins he is in Mitchell Miller have parted ways. Can confirm Mitch Miller is not under contract with the team. Cannot comment further. And then Slapshots has been told the Bruins immediately terminated Miller's contract in conjunction. With their disassociation from him, there is, however, no record of the team placing him on unconditional waivers for the purpose of termination as required by the CBA. Then two, that regulation applies to mutually agreed termination, which this was obviously not. The NHLPA in turn filed the grievance. The Post has learned that in lieu of a hearing, the parties reached a settlement under which Boston was released from its obligation, while Miller received an unknown sum and was granted free agency. The agreement was reached in February under the imposed and uh, the impose in Ugh, I can't talk under the imposition of confidentiality. Its existence was not publicly known until now. Indeed, as of Saturday, Miller was listed, as I said, on the Bruins minor league roster, both cap friendly and punkpedia. It's likely that the defenseman will seek employment in Europe. So, I mean, I think this is sort of just, you know, comes out of nowhere. Um, clearly, this was seems like a backroom deal, you know, to get him to, to leave. We'll probably never know the sum of money that was given um he was given i believe a $95,000 signing bonus along with the 775 he would be making uh last well the 2022 23 season and the 23 24 season um i just i you know th- they bungled this whole thing but to not make this public i just find more just kind of adds to like you just blew this whole thing didn't you
1: yeah i mean that's the thing clearly they wanted to kind of be done with this obviously and, yeah. and kind of get it taken care of but you know you would think that probably whether it's they just don't want it to pop up in in headlines again which sure enough we're hearing now and the dog does. summer when there's nothing to talk about and this is all we're kind of talking about uh yeah you know to have this kind of uh swept under the rug kind of deal and i mean like no obviously after they announced two days after signing him they wanted to sever ties with him uh you expected at some point it was going to you know have that other shoe that it needed to drop right like they told him pretty much not to go to to Bruins facilities or anything like that but he's still technically under contract so sooner or later you needed to have a contract termination a buyout and we we even talked about it during that this latest buyout window that the Bruins are probably gonna have to do that then thinking he was still on the on the depth chart for this team like you I think we were all expecting at some point just to get that even if it's a short two sentence release about we placed them in waivers for, you know, buyout or if, you know, agree, or even if it was like this, uh, current, you know, framework of a deal where they both agreed, you know, there was a payout, which like uh, I doubt they would have announced in a, a statement in terms of what the sum is. But if they reached this agreement back in February, even if it was just a two sentence presser, I think we'd all be like, all right, yep, that's about right. Don't have to buy them out. We all are on the same page now and we know it's over and done with. And again, they clearly wanted to get that done, but the fact that it was just kind of swept under the rug seems very, very odd in, in that regard, right? Because um, again, I, I think you look at I think all of us are in agreement that we were looking forward to finally having this really ugly, unnecessary chapter done. Uh after the Bruins kind of bungled this whole thing, as you said. But to not have it end on a note like this where it was kind of just back, you know, backroom deal don't really know what exactly the cost was what have you just adds as you said, just adds to what was just a a completely avoidable chapter for this team where it just didn't have to happen obviously the the lack of oversight the lack of research the you know the the lack of uh you know speaking to the necessary parties before signing him all this stuff it's one of those things where i think back in the moment when we were both i think very angry at all that kind of transpired i think it was more just like confusion and anger over just how badly you just didn't do your research for any of these things. So, yeah, I mean, there's not much else to say at this point other than it was just a completely unnecessary misstep by a team that, again, there should have been 10, 12, 15, 20 different safeguards in place before you finally reach the conclusion of putting pen to paper on a contract. And they've, uh, you know, they've got egg in their face because of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, just going back to that time, you remember just how, vast the outrage was and how quick it was just I mean it was within hours that uh that you know the outrage I mean it, it got to the point where they let him go two days later, you know? And I mean, again, as you said, it was just avoidable. So, so, so avoidable. Um, and you know, it does not surprise me that he'll be seeking employment in Europe. I think every NHL team knows pretty damn well now that this is a guy that you don't go near. Um and again, I just I don't know. You mentioned it, you know, if that could have been a two sentence release put out around the time, just be up, you know, quick newser. And then you're on to, you know, whatever up ne- game is up next, you know, the chapter's over, whatever. Um, and as you know, as you know, in PR, I assume, you know, like you went to school for journalism. I did too. We took PR classes. You know, when you put your own news out there, you know, you can kind of control it. It helps sort of, you know, helps when you kind of shed some sunlight on it. And I think, some clarity on this back at around the time or even, you know, just coming from the team rather than, you know, being in a New York post article on July 22nd. Um, I don't know. I just, you know, it's not, not the best move by them, but again, the chapter's over. Thankfully he is uh, you know, no longer here. So that's a good thing, but that was really the only big, huge piece of Bruins news uh, over uh, the past week. But that doesn't mean the podcast is over. Oh my God. No way no, no, no way the podcast is over. You guys are stuck with us for another like 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes if we're feeling good. Um, as we all wait for, you know, in the coming weeks, you know, the Trent Frederick news will drop, the Jeremy Swayman news will drop. So we'll have more on that. But I want to hit it a big question. Um, because you and I both assume, we assume Patrice Bergeron will return uh to the Bruins. But in the case that he doesn't, right? Let's say he retires. I'm sorry to put this in people's heads, but it could happen. It could happen. If he retires, are they still a playoff team? Because I was reading a story recently in the athletic, I think it was by Dom Lassison. And it was, you know, the most improved teams uh, from the off season. I think Dallas was number one Um, that Craig Smith was actually one of their additions. So, you know, good for that. That Craig Smith take of yours from the summer of 2020 still rolls along. He's an
1: analytics darling, Evan.
0: (laughs) He is an analytics darling. Uh, but the Bruins were the least improved team, number thirty-two. I think they're, you know, according to Dom's model, they're down like twenty-seven goals from last year. You know, obviously, and in it was, you know, Patrice Bergeron was a a loss. They, you know, he didn't have Bergeron coming back. And if if Bergeron does not return, do you still think they're a playoff team?
1: Uh, I mean, it's a lot tougher sledding, that's for sure, right? And I, I think you look at this team, and we've kind of mapped out what their strategy is going to be this upcoming year if, uh, you know, in terms of bridging that gap between this season and 2024 when they have a lot more cap space, they can really kind of aggressively retool with a pretty solid base. And again, they've got talent, but if they're going to be a a contending team or a team that's going to be in the mix, I guess probably is the better way to phrase it this year. It's going to rely on defense and and goaltending and like that's still in place. So they'll still be, I think a a tough out, but I think for Bergeron, it's not just, you know, his impact of being guy the reigning Selkie winner is still a very, very good two-way player. I think it's also just the domino effect of just putting guys in their proper spots, I think is almost the most important thing in that regard, right? Where uh, can Pavel Zaka be a second-line center? I think so, but Bergeron's not there, and it's all of a sudden, you know, you're making Charlie Coyle your top-line center. You know, you're moving guys further up the line of the Be shouldn't be in those spots. Like, is Morgan Geeky, like – Better as like a third line right wing with Coil, or is he like your three C? You know, it's all these guys are getting bumped up one degree, and maybe some guys roll with it and, and take steps forward. But you're still asking a lot for guys that may not be at their best spot. And again, I think the Bruins. You look at how effective they were in the playoffs when it was you know Coil and Zaka there uh, in that those spots, and they performed well in those roles. But for them to do that over a couple of playoff games, uh, but also triplicated over an 82-game season, right? And, again, that team also had a lot more talent on the wings, a lot more scoring depth around those guys. It also kind of helped them out a little bit there as well. So, um, now, are, are they going to, like, completely bottom out without him? I don't think so. Again, they're still a, a team that can kind of just grind their way. Um, but it's a, it's almost like I think you could say this team could be hovering in the 90s without him and could be a 105-point 100, team with him. I think maybe is the best way to put it. And there's probably a little bit of variance there. If certain things go wrong, maybe they dip below that and all of a sudden they're out of the playoff picture or they just miss the cut. Um, and maybe they have even more to give if Bergeron's back and all those guys fall back into place. But there is a, a pretty solid swing, though, in terms of where exactly the, this team kind of falls in that contention scale. They don't have a guy like Bergeron kind of anchoring that top of the lineup.
0: To me, if you have Bergeron, you are competing for the second and third spot in the Atlantic, most likely. If you don't, you're fighting for a wild card spot. Uh, and I think it really comes down to that. And you nailed it. You know, Char- if Charlie Coyle is your one C, I don't think he'll be terrible in that position, but that's not where he's best at. Um, mm-hmm. That's not where you're going to get his best. And, you know, he's never really fit up there. Now, maybe if you said, hey, this is going to be your long-term home for the season, Charlie, like make it your own. Maybe there's something there, but I still, you know, and, and, we've always kind of waited for Coyle to turn into that top six center and it just hasn't really happened. And, you know, granted he's, you know, he's older now and I guess, you know, he's been around here longer, but I still don't look at him and go, Oh, that's a guy who can give you 50 points in the, in the one I still even 50 points for a one C, uh, you know, like, yeah, okay, that's fine. But Still, and even Zaka, you know, like, I think a lot of weight is, you know, was taken off of Zaka this year because he sort of exceeded the expectations, you know, like you still had Bergeron in place. You still had Krejci in place, you know, guys like that. If it's just Coil Zaka, a lot more falls on those shoulders, a lot more falls on those shoulders. Uh, But it opens up an intriguing possibility. And I talked about this. I think I talked about this with Pat Donnelly on Bruins Beat last week. Um, And... I don't think this will happen. I don't think this will happen, but it's an interesting possibility to think about because let's say Bergeron doesn't come back. Right. And let's say they just roll with what they got. They go with this roster into the season. And let's say around the trade deadline, they're like 10 points out of the wild card. Maybe, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. Let's just say, I'm not, again, I don't think this will happen, but it opens an intriguing possibility. Let's just say that's the case. And Jake Debrusk is a pending UFA, right? Mm-hmm. You get a lot for Jake DeBrusk at the trade deadline. You get a lot for maybe a guy like clean his at the trade deadline. Now, again, I'm not saying that's gonna happen, and I'm not even saying that I really want this to happen. But if they did, if Bertrand didn't come back and they were a team that was probably out of the playoffs, you could s- kind of do a 2014, 2015 type thing, sell off some pieces and get some legitimate return. Because if you're dealing to at the deadline, my guess is you're getting somewhere, maybe a first, maybe you're getting some top prospects. Um, if you did decide to deal Lena Solmark, you would get a ton, I think at the trade deadline, because I think a team, you know, teams in the, in the hunt would, would kill for a goalie like that, unless he has a horrible season, I guess. And that And, and it, maybe if they don't have Bergeron and they're in that position, maybe he does, but even still, he's the reigning Vezna winner. So, I'm not saying I want that to happen, but I'm saying that if Berger doesn't come back and they're not contending, maybe that's where you start to sell off those pieces on the end. You know, if you're if you if you're not going to be able to get to Brust back at a price that you're comfortable with. Um, so again, I don't want that. I, I can't say enough. I don't want that to happen. And I don't think that will happen. I think they are a playoff team. Even without Bergeron, I still think they are in the hunt for the wild card. And I don't think they want to start selling pieces off mid-season. But if things did get not so great, You could sell those pieces off and not rebuild. You're not rebuilding your team. You're just kind of retooling on the fly. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, no, I think that all kind of goes back to, I think, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head where this team obviously wants, they they still think they are a good enough team to be in the mix and be in the playoffs. And once you're in, as we saw uh, a few months ago, anything can happen there, right? In terms of this, just punching your ticket and kind of letting the, the Cards fall where they may. But Again, I think if you're a team like this where you don't have as much certainty in terms of what you are expecting out of this group, you have to have versatility and the ability to pivot if need be. And I think you even look at just the way they signed guys like Van Reemsdyke or you know uh, Shattenkirk or Lucic or all these guys that are on these one year deals, where if they're out of gas or they get uh, leapfrogged by younger players in the lineup, you're not tied to these long term contracts. So, you know they're there for a year. You can put them down to the minors if they're not uh, up to up to speed without a cap penalty. Like, you're giving yourself versatility to kind of deal with whatever kind of hurdles or developments, and they give me good ones. Hell, like, I'm going to camp, and all of a sudden, Lysel or Murkilov look fantastic, and a guy like Lauko all of a sudden looks like a third-line player, and you, you roll the dice there, and you all of a sudden have a good problem on your hands, and you have the flexibility that you made for yourself to adjust it out on the fly. And so I think when you look at this team, as you said – they want to be in the mix. They think they have a good enough core. But if things go wrong, if a couple of key guys get hurt out of the gate, or uh, quite a few players take a major step down from their play last year and just, yeah, you you're sign off on this year of just being, you know, we had a good run, but we'll be back next year. You again have that versatility, as you said, to move a few guys that are good players, but maybe aren't part of this next core you're building. And again, I think you look at one of the biggest hurdles for the Bruins this offseason with so much of this cap crunch and uh, teams not rolling to make any trades is that, yeah, you just had so many teams afraid to move money or or move on guys without getting a really good return. Like, you know, if the Bruins got probably a higher offer, a guy like Omar, maybe he's not here. Maybe you have a guy like Bertuzzi. It's just not a lot of teams are going to play ball with the Bruins. But when you get to February and March and the playoffs right around the corner, a team all of a sudden is missing a really good goaltender or a top six player, I think they can, you know, build for this recent playoff run. All of a sudden, maybe then you get a first round pick for a guy that you value, as you said. So it's all about keeping the Bruins options open. I think they've kind of are approaching it that way. I think you you can you run the risk if you're a franchise, I think, of trying to do too much or kind of putting your foot in too many doors. I think the Red Sox the last couple of years have been kind of stuck in that weird limbo where you have to be a little bit more decisive. But I think when you're the Bruins and you put all the chips on the table to at least go through this bridge year with the ability to kind of either stay the course and be competitive and then build for next year or if things go wrong. Sell off pieces and accelerate what you're already trying to do. It, it's a pretty solid spot considering just how much they had to give up to go all in last year. Uh so yeah, I, I think keeping both those options open are kind of is how the Bruins are approaching it, at least to start this year.
0: Yeah, I, I, it goes back to free agency—the one-year deals and stuff. It's good. Like I, I have no problem with any of those. If if Jameson Reams gives you twenty-five goals this year, you take great, awesome, amazing. You know, right? But if he gets leapfrogged in the top six and he gets buried in the you know in the on the third line or just you know is healthy scratched, eh, it's a year. It's a year-long deal. You tried. Yeah. You gave it a shot. You know, it's a bridge year. Um, uh. But again, I mean, it goes back to you know, like those moves Sweeney made when he became GM in uh, in 20 in the 2015 offseason when he traded Lucic for a first and Dougie Hamilton for a first and you know it's funny we always go back we go back and we harp on how bad that drafting was and it was terrible i mean i'm not like i'm not excusing it but the moves to get those picks were pretty good like that was, those were solid returns <laughs> and you know again like that should have sparked the it, that should have been pieces that you know went into play to help that team, right? It should not have been Seneshin and Zaborl and, and and those guys, you know, it should have been, you know, obviously Barzal or Kyle Connor. We've gone over this so many times. So I'm not going to, you know, bog this podcast out with that. But again, if you get to next, if you get to next February and you are, you know, as you said, if you have injuries, you know, you're kind of out of the playoffs, not a lot of hope for the team, and you want to start selling off pieces like Omar, DeBrusque, uh, guys like that, Maybe you do that. Maybe you do that and you get real pieces, back. you get, you know, you get real prospects or first round picks back. And suddenly you can kind of accelerate that rebuild and you can bolster the prospect pool and you don't have to. It's not, you know, sacrificing uh, McAvoy's future or Posternock's future. You know, if the season's already kind of down the drain, because we know with the cap going up the way it is uh, or supposed to go up uh, in the offseason of 2024, you have you have the leeway there to add to that rot to add to that core, and suddenly you can compete again. So you know, punting on this year if they get if they have to do it, I don't think is the worst thing in the world. Uh, but again, I don't think that's going to happen. I feel like this roster is solid enough to be in the playoff hunt. And if there's ever been an ownership group that will do anything to just shimmy on into the playoffs, it is this one. So uh, we'll see what ends up happening there. It's obviously a long way away. And there's more that we're going to have to talk about that with, uh, through the rest of the off season, but Connor, what can people look forward to from you over at boston.com?
1: Yeah, we're going to have you covered throughout this off season. We go through this latest kind of lull here. Again, we, as we still await the news of Berger and Crecci, which kind of the last domino to fall, but also probably the most impactful in terms of mapping out just how the rest of this lineup pans out and what to expect this upcoming season. So we'll be, uh, on watch for that, along with any other developments that break over the next couple uh, weeks months before we get to training camp. So you can read all of my stuff over at Boston.com and if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can at Connor Ryan underscore 93.
0: Go do all that. That's Connor Ryan. I'm Evan you presented by our good friends at FanDuel. You Bruins be listeners. Have a great rest of your week. <laughs>